You always know when you are going to preach. And it's because the enemy attacks you. And it's very real. I might not have believed that before I was a student pastor, but I do now. The, the thing, it, you kind of get used to it, like you almost start laughing about it, like, huh, well, here it goes again. Um, but what's always unsuspecting is where it comes from. That tends to bother you a little bit. You know the enemy hates you, but it bothers you um, on where it comes from sometimes. And I want you all to know I've been attacked already this morning. Um, I'm wearing a suit. <laughs> we got here at 8 o'clock to greet our seniors and kind of explain to them what the next service is going to look like. Abby Pusick is one of those seniors. And so Brother Don got here at 8 o'clock and he saw me and he said, You look good this morning. I said, Brother Don, I don't feel good. I hate suits. And he said, well, why'd you wear it? I was like, what? <laughs> Man, come on, you could have told me that yesterday. I did make a note, though. I don't make many notes, but I noted that one. I want to read to y'all a list of the seniors that are graduating this year. And as I read them, I want you to think about how you have ministered to them. In any way, coach, principal, teacher at school, Awana leader, table leader, any way you've ministered to, with them, to them, uh, going to camp with them, you know, being that guy that tells them you got to take a shower today. <laughs> However, you have influenced these kids. I want you to think about that as I read you this list. Hannah Bacher, Taylor Butler, Katie Caldwell, Nick Flack, Sarah Beth Gaskins, Noah Haney, Cole Harris, Jacob Jumper, Mandy Martin, Carly McDaniel, Abby Pusick, Rachel Sanders, Heather Smith, Hunter Swate, Gil Thomas, Ross Trail, Laura Ward, T.J. Williams, and Sam Wilson. If you have influenced these kids um, in any way, would you please stand up for just a second? Will y'all clap for these? We don't thank y'all enough. Please don't stop. We need ministers in our schools. We need ministers in life. Please don't stop influencing our kids. We appreciate you. I want to start uh, by putting some numbers up on the screen, and I don't want to depress anybody, but I do want to cause a little bit of a sense of urgency. 
Because if you have kids, this day is coming on you. Where you'll sit in these pews right here beside them. And you'll graduate them. And that doesn't mean your influence ends. But it does mean your influence changes a whole lot. When this happens, our influence changes a ton. We need to be aware. We need to have a sense of urgency. So we're going to put some numbers on the screen. This first number is 940. Finley. We just dedicated Finley. There are 940 Sundays until she's sitting in these pews right here. 900, that's less than a thousand Sundays until she's sitting in these pews. That scares me to death. It's a big deal. The next one's important to me. It's, no, it's not. The next one's not important uh, to me. It's, <laughs> the, next, the next one is 624 weeks until graduation if they're in kindergarten, if they're finishing up kindergarten. The next one is important to me because that's the second grade one. Laney is finishing up the second grade. And man, it feels like she was just born. 520 weeks I have with my girl until I'm sitting in those pews. The next one's if they're finishing the seventh grade. If you have a child in the seventh grade you have 260 Sundays. You want to talk about urgent. And they're tough at that age, too. I talk to them a lot. They talk to me a whole lot more than I talk to them. The next one's if you've got a child in the 11th grade, finishing up the 11th grade, 52 weeks, one year until they're sitting in those pews fixing to graduate. I want to show you how many hours that is. 8,736 8, hours if you have a child finishing the 11th grade before this day for you. I don't want to depress you but it's urgent. Our influence changes at this day drastically I want you to know that our staff is working on how we can partner with you as families to help you disciple your kids at home there's been over 230 kids passed through our student ministry on Wednesday nights this year and we're not going to back off we're, we're going to push forward we're going to try harder to reach them as a church. But the truth is, is we have got to partner with each other. I don't have the time with them that you do. I don't have the influence with them that you do. When this comes out, when the staff is able to release this to you, take advantage of it. The day's coming on us like a freight train. I guarantee you if we were to ask any of those parents that will be sitting by their kids this morning... How does this feel? They're going to tell you, I can't believe that I'm here. Ask them. 
It's urgent. It's extremely urgent. That was actually an ad. Um, so now it's time for the sermon. If, if this sermon is anything like last year's graduation sermon, you may have time to try the other Sunday school hour this morning because um, we'll finish early. I'm, I'm going to need your help. And it's not like... Um, I know how that feels. Like I sat in those pews a lot of years, and when the preacher says he needs your help, it gets real uncomfortable. You're like, dude, just, just talk and let me sit here. But I, I need your help, and when I start, you're going to say to yourself, yeah, brother needs my help. Um, I want us to sing another song. And we don't need the words on the screen. And I'm going to lead it. <laughs> uh, but if you could turn my mic down up there once we get started, uh, that'll, that'll be great. Um, but it's Jesus Loves Me. I know it's simple, but this is where I want us to start. So please, join with your brother. Jesus loves me, this Thank you. Pray for the second service, because it's going to be really awkward if they don't join with me in that. The reason I wanted to start with Jesus Loves Me is because this morning, this senior recognition morning, feels kind of like a commissioning to me. I love these kids. I'm crazy about these kids. They've influenced me. They've taught me. They've changed me. And guys, we're fixing to send them into situations in the world where Jesus is hated. It's not a game in college. It's not a game in life. If, if you don't believe that the world hates Jesus, you've had your head in the sand. And it feels like this is, this is like our last touch. I know, I know we're not losing all of our influence, but it kind of feels like this is the last touch for them. And they're fixing to go into some really difficult situations. When I was deciding what passage to use this morning, I was in a balance between the passage we're going to use, obviously, but also Matthew chapters 3 and 4. Matthew's chapter 3 and 4 is Jesus' baptism 
and then Jesus' temptation. The funny thing about those stories, if you read them, is that Jesus' baptism is this dramatic, huge deal in the life of Jesus. It's almost like his commissioning. He's baptized by John the Baptist, and this voice from heaven, God the Father, says, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. From the heavens, huge, dramatic deal, a commissioning by God. After the baptism's over, the very next word is then. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted. The very next word, that transition phrase, is this holy, sacred commissioning by God, and then temptation. The best, maybe the most holy, sacred day, the, the start of Jesus' ministry was followed by then he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. The hardest time. What's interesting about the temptation of Christ is that two out of the three temptations that Satan uses, he starts by saying, if you were God's son, if you're really God's son, what, what did God say? God said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. What did Satan say? If you're really God's son, The enemy questions the foundations of our truth, of our faith. He brings into question the very foundations of our faith. Did, did, God, did God really say that? Maybe that was thunder. That's what we're about to send our kids out to. They're going to face it. The very foundations of their faith are going to be brought into question. The very foundations of your faith are going to be brought into question tomorrow. And at this, what feels like a commissioning to me, I want to send them out with the same words that we receive them with. The same truth. Jesus loves me. This I know. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start reading in verse 36. I've already, I've already went 15 minutes, y'all. That's a record. Uh, we're, we're good. Let me pray for us. God, I need your help this morning. Uh, I, I don't really need your help. I need you to take over. This is senior recognition, but this is your day, God. This is your word. Um, we want your will. We want your presence. We need you. We need you to move. We need you to act. Uh, we don't want to be a little better. We want to be transformed. God, for all those things to happen, you have to remove the speaker because he is weak. And God, you have to speak powerful truth to our hearts. God, you're vital to this service.
If you are not here, we might as well not be here either. Join us. Move in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start in verse 36. Jesus has had the Lord's Supper with his disciples. And he brings a few of them out to pray with him. And for Jesus, the next couple days aren't going to be pretty. It's fixing to be tough. And this is the scene. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. When I read the Bible, I have to make myself, and, and the students probably get sick of me hearing, sick of me saying this, but I have to make myself have an imagination because I'm not blessed with that. Um, it drives Beth nuts, but I, I don't have an imagination at all. But we can fall into the trap of reading the Bible like a textbook. Father, if this cup will pass from me, let it. That's not, that's not how this scene was. Jesus is face first on the ground. In Luke, it says he's sweating drops of blood. He's in torment. It says even unto death, he's on his face, he's crying out to God, God, please let this cup pass from me. I don't want this, please take this away, but not my will, your will. This is a very honest moment from Jesus. It's a very powerful moment. But it is troubling a little bit. And this is what troubles me about this passage. A few years later, after Jesus dies and is raised again, some of his disciples, early followers of Christ, are fed the lions in the Colosseum. And the story goes that as they're being led out to their death to get eaten alive by lions, they're singing hymns. 
hymns are on their mouth. I don't want to get eat by a lion. I'm probably not going to be singing in that situation. But these people were. Polycarp, not the fish, the guy. He was born in AD 80. He was the bishop of Smyrna. He made waves. He wouldn't light incense to the Roman leader because he was a follower of Christ. And he stood firm in his faith. The man was tied to a stake and burned alive. And his last words were, Seventy and six years I have served him. I will not blaspheme my King and Savior Jesus. Do to me what you must. And they burn him alive. Stephen and Acts getting stoned by people. The Bible says there's a glow on his face as he's getting stoned. Peter, the same guy that's sleeping in this passage. Later on, he's sentenced to crucifixion. And he doesn't want to die like Jesus. He wants to be crucified upside down. So my question is, are these people that follow Jesus facing death in a more graceful way than Jesus himself? Does that bother you? I know y'all won't believe this, but I used to be short and chubby. Probably more chubby than short. When I was 17, this knot came up on my back, like a bulge. And it got to where when I laid on my back, I couldn't even breathe. Like the bulge was pushing on my lungs. And my mom and dad took me to a doctor and they checked me out and I was diagnosed with scoliosis and kyphosis. Scoliosis is a curve in your spine, if you don't know. It can be a C curve or an S curve. I had an S curve. Kyphosis is like leaning forward. So I was one great looking guy. Um, but the top curve had like a 19 degree curve and the bottom curve had like a 50 something degree curve. I mean, I was really messed up here. And uh, so they watched it for a little bit. They were hoping they could use a brace to fix it, but it was progressing too fast. And they said, Dustin, you're going to have to have surgery. Well, okay, that's the first surgery that I'd ever had in my life. I'd broken some bones and things like that. Um, but this was an intense surgery. This is how intense it was. I was five foot four when I went to sleep, and I was five nine when I woke up. I was crooked. I knew it was going to hurt, <laughs> but I, I didn't know it was going to hurt. And they put me to sleep, and they... <laughs> I, wish, I wish you could see the x-rays. They had to... I have a scar. It's my whole back. And... 
course, they had to cut through muscles and straighten my spine, and they screwed these rods into my vertebrae. If any of y'all are getting weak, I am too, so just hang in there with me. They screwed these rods into my vertebrae, and they're long screws. I was like, when I saw the x-ray, I was like, is that thing going to get in my kidney or something? I mean, they are long. And I woke up, I remember waking up the first time, and they, they had me in ICU, and they had me a morphine pump. And like, as soon as I woke up, they're like, if you need some pain medicine, just hit that button. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's like I was playing Tetris or something, you know, I'm, I'm hitting the button. And they're like, dude, you're not, it's, it's only going to give you so much. And I'm like, I, don't, I just don't want to miss a shot, you know, I, whatever you want to do, I just don't want to miss a shot. So I'm, I'm plugging it away, you know, I can't move anything else, but I'm hitting, my thumb's in good shape. And uh, they, they finally got me into a room. And when I get into this room, it's time for me to walk. Whew. They had me on this blanket. They're moving me around in the bed. And they slide me over to the edge of the bed. And y'all, I'm, I'm ex- this is excruciating. Horrible. They roll me on my side to where my legs are going to fall off the bed and they can sit me up. My family's in the room with me, and it's taken like three or four of them to help the nurses. My brother's there. My brother's a preacher, and he is a, he cries a lot. Um, he's, he's kind of a baby. Um, but he's, he's there in the room with me, and he's behind me, and they assign him, when I sit up, for him to put his hands on my back for support. That's not a great job for a crybaby. So they sit me up, and y'all, I'm dying. I'm like, ah! I'm crying and screaming. I'm 18 years old now, crying, screaming. And he puts his hands on my back, and those muscles are just tender. And I'm like, get your hands off my back! So he's like, okay. Well, when he did, those muscles tightened. Ah! I mean, it got worse then. They finally got me up on my feet, and I walked up and down the halls, and I'm screaming and crying. I mean, this is the worst pain of my life ever. Like, um, One of the things that my family says to me is there's a point in time where I say, Jesus, I thought you said you'd never leave me or forsake me. Where you at now, bro? That's kind of my, that was kind of my prayer during that time. That We get back to the room, and the, the, ne- the process of getting back in the bed is no easier than the process of getting up. I'm, I'm screaming, crying the whole time. But that's not the worst part. A couple minutes after they get me in the bed and I'm situated again, I see something out of the corner of my eye roll into my room. It's a 13-year-old girl. She rolls into my room in a wheelchair. Come to find out this girl has had the same type of surgery on the same day. And she busts up in my room and she says, well, they've had me up walking and I'm feeling pretty good, so I'm about to go home. And I heard all that crying and screaming in here. I just want to come check and make sure everything's all right. (laughs) Girl, roll your little tail back outside my room. (laughs) I hadn't liked 13-year-old girls since, man. That that made me so mad. And I could see my family. They're all standing (laughs) covering up smiles. You know, I don't care. I'm crying anyways. My point is, if I had known what that was going to feel like, like if I could have experienced a taste of that before I went, 
it would have taken a big man to tie me in the truck to get me there. That was some pain. Horrible. That's what Jesus is going through in Gethsemane. Our salvation being earned did not start on the cross. It started in Gethsemane. Jesus is praying, this cup, this cup, this cup, the cup that is upon me. He's tasting what's about to come to be. He's tasting what's about to come to be. The more I read in the Bible about the wrath of God and the more I understand about the wrath of God, I think there is an aspect of the wrath of God that is not offensive. It's not Him coming at us, but it's Him just stepping back and allowing things to happen. There's an aspect of the wrath of God that's like that. Read Romans chapter 1. It talks about God just giving them away to their own passions. Hell. Hell could be described as a man living his whole life saying, I don't want you, God. I want no part of you, God, while he's alive. I want no part of you. Leave me alone, God. Stay out of my life, God. And for eternity, God's saying, okay. There's an aspect of the wrath of God like that. Jesus is feeling that in Gethsemane. He's feeling what it's like to have a severed relationship with the Father. For the first time in all of eternity, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is beginning to break. He's feeling the weight of the wrath of God on his shoulders. He's not scared. He's in torment. And as he's feeling the flames of hell on his feet, his best friends are over there sleeping. Which is a sign of something else that's going to happen tomorrow. Complete abandonment. And it's also a sign of what we would do. As, Je as Jesus is, is facing the wrath of hell for us, He knows we're going to place everything else above it. As Jesus is facing the wrath of God for us, he knows how we're going to respond. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. He died for me on the cross. The people that he's bearing the wrath of God for are asleep on the ground. Jesus didn't have the luxury of dying for a cause that was bigger than him like those other people I talked to you about earlier. Polycarp, those, those first Christians, Peter, Stephen. He's dying for our filth. 
He's dying for our filth. His cause isn't like ours, like theirs. In a way, they were blessed to die for something that mattered. He's dying because you, we would turn our backs on him. We would, make, we would put everything above his mission and his kingdom. He's dying because of that and in spite of that. He knows what I would do. In Gethsemane, he knew what I would do. He knew I'd be all about me. For all of history in the Bible, from day one, God had said to his people, Obey me and I will bless you. Obey me and I will bless you. Obey me and I will bless you. But in the garden, God is saying to Jesus, if you obey me, you're going to get crushed for them that are asleep under that tree back there. How he loves us. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Do you believe that? Some may say, Dustin, everybody knows Jesus loves them. Do you? How's your joy? Sometimes we need to step back and just marinate. You know it would change our lives if we just marinated in the love of Christ. Constantly. There's another observation I want to make from this passage. And then I'll be done. And that is, for students today and for all of us in this room, to live for Jesus Christ, to live for the kingdom of God, takes an incredible amount of courage. I'm talking about raw, gritty courage. Bravery. When we look at this story of Jesus... I want them and I want you to hear that bravery, raw, gritty courage is not always felt. It's a choice. The distance between courage and cowardice is a choice. Some people call when Jesus uh, gets arrested and, and when Jesus is led to be crucified... Some people call that Jesus' passive obedience. And when Jesus actively obeys, they call it his active obedience. Active obedience and passive obedience. I don't believe there's a such thing as passive obedience. I think Jesus is seeing and experiencing exactly what's going to happen in Gethsemane. And on our behalf, he's walking right toward it. Bravery, gritty courage is not always felt, it's a decision. What has God told you to do that eats your world up? What is God telling you to do that you are most 
scared of. You look at people who have the gift of evangelism and, and they're sharing their faith with a lot of different people. Don't think they don't, feel, they don't feel fear. Sometimes they're scared to death. They just walk through it. Because they have raw, gritty courage. What's God telling you to do that scares you to death? And you're just going to have to walk right on through it. The next day, if you read the, or, or in the following story, uh, Jesus is arrested, and as he's being arrested, the, the author of Luke tells us that uh, this guy uh, that's arresting him comes up there, and, and one of the disciples that had been asleep cuts off his ear. Now they're passionate, you know. He cuts off his ear. And Jesus picks his ear up and heals his ear. Courage and love. He's arrested. He's spit on by people. He's tied to a stake, beaten, cursed, mocked. Love and courage. And ultimately, it's finished on the cross. Love and courage. He dies, and three days later, he's raised. And I want you to know this morning that if we put our faith in that, and if we live in that, God calls us a son or a daughter. And we spend eternity in hell. This morning I want to start the, the response time by doing something crazy. And that is, y'all, this is for real. This is asking a lot. This is crazy. I want everybody looking up, and I need you to listen to me real close. If you want to put your faith in Jesus this morning, for the first time, maybe you realized how much he loves you. And you want to walk into that love. I want to ask you to do something really courageous. With everybody looking up, I'm going to give you a couple, a couple seconds. If you want to put your faith in Jesus this morning, would you, would you stand up with everybody looking that takes boldness. That takes courage. This lady wants to put her faith in Jesus. This lady wants to put her faith in Jesus. Carly Owens, would you mind taking this lady to the back and visiting with her? Mom, would you mind? This lady. Anybody else? Miss Rhonda Lynham, would you mind visiting with this lady right here, please? You can just take them to the back and visit with them. Anybody else? Thank you.
for the rest of the response time, the pastors are going to come forward. We're going to be down front. Maybe you've walked away from the love of Christ. Maybe you've got caught up in a bunch of, man, I don't know, drama. It can happen to any of us. And maybe you need to back up from all that and just marinate in the love of Jesus. We've seen bravery this morning. Praise the Lord. If you want to come, come lay something down on the altar, that's probably going to take bravery too. Do it. Let's marinate in the love of Jesus. Father, we come to you. And God, I thank you for the bravery we've seen. God, I pray that you would allow us to be people who walk in your love constantly, forever. God, we need you to do that in us. God, maybe we've been caught up in a bunch of junk. I pray you would allow us to lay that down and marinate in your love. Do whatever you want in us, in Jesus' name.